Good morning. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Today's passage is in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, the second half of our Bibles. Matthew 5 is on page 810 in the Bibles around the room, 810. At the end of the reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you'll respond, thanks be to God. This is to remind ourselves we are gratefully about to hear God speak. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father in heaven, gracious king of the universe, the lens through which we see life is so distorted, so darkened. We turn our minds and our hearts to you this morning so that the light of your truth can color the world in the way that you see it. We want to value what you value. We want to call good what you call good. We want to think your thoughts after you about everything. You have the words of eternal life. To whom else could we turn for that? Cause us to so deeply treasure your son that we rejoice to suffer for and with him. In the name of the pure peacemaking son of God who was persecuted for our sake. Amen. Well, good morning, church. My name is Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're a guest, we are going through Matthew chapter 5 which is Jesus' famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. It's called the Sermon on the Mount because he gave it on a mountain. So that's what we're going through. So turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And uh, that's on page 810. And the Bibles we said around the room is where we're going to pick up. Um, If you're a guest with us, one of the things that we want you to know is that this is a place where you can come when your life's a mess. Uh, We are here not because we have our life together, but we're here because we need God. Because the reality is all of our life is a mess, including mine. And so welcome here. And, and we turn our attention now to what God has to say. Now, this is Jesus' famous sermon. And it's a description of the way that he calls his people to live. It was in the ancient city of Antioch that people who followed Jesus were first called Christians. But it wasn't a positive term. It was meant to be a slanderous and derogatory term. Roman citizens called uh, people Christians because Christians identified themselves uh, primarily as Christians rather than Romans. They had their highest allegiance sworn to Jesus, not to Caesar. And so people would slander them and say, oh, look at you, you little Christian. The word Christian also means to be a little Christ. And so as people who were following Jesus were laying down their lives to serve others as they were being generous, as they were being kind and forgiving, as they were loving the outcasts of society. The Romans as a bunch of kind of uh, the, the, the citizens of the town would often just be like, well, look at you. You think you're better than everybody? What are you, a little Jesus copycat? You little Christ, little Christian. 
And the Christians thought about it for a minute and they were like, you know what? We'll take it. That's a good term, being associated with Jesus. In fact, that's what it means to be a disciple. A disciple, we, at Living Sons, we like to say that we are disciples making disciples. A disciple is simply a follower of Jesus. I mean, somebody who wants to follow in his footsteps, who wants to be associated with him, our good Lord. That's what a disciple means. And, and we're here to do that. And we're also here to help each other do that. Before Christians were called Christians, they were called the way. Like if you read in the early chapters of the book of Acts, it just calls them the people of the way. And what it means is that Christianity has always been associated with not just liking Jesus, but following him on the way. And what that means is it's not about liking certain things about him. It's not just knowing about him. It's not just liking what he has to say. It's not being his fan. Being a Christian is following his way. Amen? And so what is his way? How do we know? Well, that's what Matthew 5 is about. Chapters 5, 6, and 7 in the book of Matthew show us, Jesus gives this famous sermon in which he says, this is the way that my kingdom people live. This is what it looks like when the kingdom of heaven intersects with the fallen kingdom of the world. And so the Sermon on the Mount can be described as the beautiful way, a way that's different. It's how people follow Jesus in a fallen world, or as the great preacher from Scotland, Sinclair Ferguson says, it's kingdom living in a fallen world. It's a description of the beautiful way. So it begins... The sermon begins with eight blessings called Beatitudes. Anybody raise your hand if you've heard the word Beatitudes? It's a weird word, just means blessings. Eight blessings that are linked to eight challenging characteristics. Eight challenging characteristics. So for example, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Eight challenging traits or challenging characteristics linked to eight blessings. And what it shows us is that following Jesus is costly, but it's also awesome. It's costly because it requires us to die to the selfish ways of the world and the selfish ways of our heart. But it's awesome because anything we lose is nothing compared to what we gain. And it also shows us that Jesus has an expectation. He has an expectation that if you encounter him and follow him, it will change you. Nobody has truly met Jesus and stayed the same. There's a lot of people who bear the name of Christian, but they're just doing the same old thing. And the answer is, well, you really haven't met Jesus. You haven't really followed Jesus. Following him will influence you to change. It will transform your life. And maybe that's why some of you are here. You're here not as Christians, but as investigators. But you're here because you've had friends who've become Christians and you're like, they've changed. And I got to figure this out. I got to figure out what's going on here. Well, Jesus transforms you. Amen? So here's what I want to drive home today. 
Jesus' people are marked by purity, peace, and persecution. We're going to look at the last three Beatitudes. Jesus' people are marked by purity, peace, and persecution. So we're going to look at the blessings. Then we're going to look at the problem. And then we're going to look at our hope. So first of all, the blessings. Jesus says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Do you want the blessing of seeing God? That's why we're here. We want to see God. Well, seeing God is for the pure in heart. God is pure and his kingdom is one of purity. Jesus likely is thinking of Psalm 24 when it says, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord or the place of God's dwelling? And it says, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord. Purity. Purity means without contamination. Um, some of you are home brewers. You make your own beer. And for all the teetotaling Baptists in here, you make your own root beer. <laughs> and you know how important purification is. Because you have to cleanse your bottles. You have to cleanse everything. And iodine or a little bit of bleach. You have to use these cleansing agents because if a little bit of germs gets in there, it ruins the whole batch. And that's how sin works in our lives. Sin is simply the disruption uh, of what God said, uh, to our need for God and, and doing things on your own. And when that enters into your life, it contaminates everything. And so purity is life without contamination. It's an undefiled life. It's clean. It's unstained. It's not dirty. It's like that old country song, barbecue stain on my white t-shirt. There's no stain on the shirt. (laughs) It's unstained according to God's standard of morality. We like to often judge ourselves by our own standard of morality. But God says, blessed are the pure in heart on my standard of morality, which is much higher. And I want you to notice the location of this purity. Where is it? Blessed are the pure in where? Heart. It's an inner purity. It's thought purity. It's motive purity. It's emotional purity. It's a purity of our attention. It's undivided purity. God is saying, you can't love me as primary, as the primary one in your life and love something else as the primary one in life. It's me or nothing. You can't be divided in your attention. And it's purity of the heart. And, and God knows the, the reason why God is after a pure heart is because a true pure heart is going to manifest itself in pure actions and words. I know that sometimes we say, well, I know I did that, or I know I said that, but I really have a good heart. No. <laughs> what does Jesus say? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. He knows that from a pure heart will flow pure actions and words. And so that's why he's concerned with the heart. But here's what I want you to know. And church people, listen up. It is possible 
to have an outward life that looks pure, but an inward heart that is a rotten egg. That's what religion is. It's about creating outward purity, putting on masks, putting on appearances, doing performances, but being dead on the inside. Jesus looked at Pharisees who were the righteous of the righteous people, and he said, you're just a bunch of whitewashed tombs. You look really pretty on the outside, but I know your heart. And religious people, we need to know that the longer we're in the church, the more our hearts gravitate towards that kind of false purity, an outward purity, a purity of presentation, but not a genuine inward heart change. But the good news is that God is after those. God, God the, the, the blessings of God fall on those who have a, a pure heart. And that's good news for some of you because you, maybe you've been wary about coming to church because you look at church people and they, they're dressed nice and they're all cleaned up and they look good on the outside. And you're looking at your life and you're like, I'm dirty and I'm a mess. Well, I guess the good news is God cares about the heart. And your outward appearance can be a disaster. You could be a disheveled mess, but you can still have a pure heart. Now, why is this a bless? Why is the blessing linked to this challenging characteristic that we will see God? Here's the reason why: because God is hundred percent pure, and if He's not, I don't want to worship Him. He's hundred percent pure, and so when we have contamination, it. Uh, of, of other motives, of other desires, of other uh, contamination of morality, it clouds our vision of seeing him. Who is sick of the smoke? <laughs> the smoke has been in the valley and it's blocked our vision. It's contaminated our vision of seeing the purity of the mountains. And that's what sin does. Sin contaminates our vision of seeing the purity of God. Or think about it directionally. If God is pure, sin by nature is looking away from him towards impurity. And you're wondering, I just don't see God. Well, because you're looking in the wrong direction. This last week, I went with one of our deacons, Andrew Poe, up to the mountains of Jarbidge Elko. We were looking for elk because he has an elk tag coming up. And we, I just, as we were hiking around, we were really, it was on the top of like 9,000 feet, really rugged mountains. We were like crying together, holding each other. This is so hard, but we like it. <laughs> We're just like, we, we started saying to each other, we're not seeing a lot of deer. Like, where's all the deer? The reason we weren't seeing deer, guess what? We weren't looking for deer. <laughs> we were looking for elk. And they're totally different animals. And a lot of us aren't, you're like in here saying, I'm not seeing God. It's because you're looking for impurity. You're looking at impure things. You're, you're, your mind is set on something else. And if your mind is contaminated with impurity, you're not going to see God because God is pure. And so do you want the blessing of seeing God? It comes from a pure heart. The conference, I was listening to an old pastor who had been in ministry for like 40 years. And he said, I eventually got to the point that when uh, kids in my church who would grow up, they'd go off to college. I would, they would come back for vacation. I'd meet with them in my office. I said, how are things going? How's your worship of God going? Are you seeing him? And if they said to me, no, I'm not. I just, I think I'm going to abandon the faith. The first question he would ask is, who are you sleeping with? Because <laughs> he's like, I know how that impurity clouds our vision of actually seeing him. 
And a lot of times we like to blame God when really it's our impure hearts that are the problem. And it's not just sexual impurity, is it? Pride. You're not going to see God if you're always focused on yourself. Just ask your friends if you're being prideful. They'll be like, yeah, all you talk about is you. (laughs) Greed, covetousness, always wanting more. How are you going to see God if your eyes are turned in that direction? Or maybe it's it's the endless pursuit of comfort. That's why these blessings are linked together. Pure in heart, we'll see God. Okay, so let's look at the next blessing. Peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. God's kingdom is one of peace. He's called the God of peace. And that's a contrast to the kingdoms of this world, right? Would you call this world marked by peace? No. Ascension, division, separation, tribalism. Tribalism is simply when people can live side by side together, but they really don't care about each other because they're just attracted to their own social groups. But it's not true peace. It's not wholeness. So when Jesus had this idea of peace in his mind, he was probably thinking of the Hebrew word shalom, which means everything as it ought to be, completeness and wholeness. Everybody say shalom. That's how you would greet each other as a Hebrew person. Shalom, everything as it ought to be. And Jesus says, blessed are the peace makers, those who pursue making everything as it ought to be, reconciling what is broken. Because we live in a fallen world, we will have broken relationships. So there's a vertical component to this and a horizontal component to this. Naturally, we're born with hearts that are straying away from God, not bent towards him. And so being a peacemaker means you are helping people to turn to God. That's your greatest desire in your heart. You see that Jesus came to make peace with us, to to cover us uh, with his blood for our our sins. He came to to make it right between a vertical relationship between us and God. And being a peacemaker in God's family means you want other people to have that great blessing too. It means that the greatest desire of your heart is to see people reconciled to God. And what Jesus is saying in that sense is there's no such thing as following me and not doing the work of evangelism. There's no such thing as following me and not sharing this wonderful message because my people are peacemakers. But then there's a horizontal component to it also. It seeks relational peace with one another. As the apostle Paul says, God has broken down the walls of hostility that we have built up with one another so that we could be one together. And so this sort of horizontal peace is seeking relational wholeness, even when our hearts have been broken. And notice the active component in it. Blessed are the peacemakers, not peace allowers. <laughs> Jesus' people make peace. And it's not, as uh, John Stott says, a cheap peace that costs us nothing. It's a peace, it's a, it's a, costly peace that absorbs the wrongs done to us. That's what it requires to be a peacemaker. Isn't that what Jesus has done for us? Doesn't show, don't we see that on the cross? The cross is God saying to us, I've come to make peace with you, but the only way to do that is if I absorb the pain. I absorb the hurt you've done for me. Now, our natural response to conflict is one of two things, fight or flight, Right? 
That all rhymed. I'm a rapper up here today. <laughs> Fight or flight. That's our natural response to conflict. We fight. We say, oh, you know what? You're going to get me? Oh, watch it. I'm going to get you. As much damage as you've done to me, I will show you how I am right and you are wrong. I was talking with Nick Valdez yesterday at the baptism, and he was saying that his son, is Sage, is learning how to play drums. And as he's out there, his neighbor has come across the street to vindicate the noise. And so he said, one of the days his neighbor came out just bashing pants, like right in front of their house. <laughs> and he was doing all these other things, blowing his horn. The most recent one is he like just shot up their, uh, their garage door with paintballs. But I can just see it. Like I can just see the guy sitting there playing video games being like, oh, I'm going to get them. I'm going to get them back with noise. They're getting me. I'm going to get them. That's fight. Now we do that all the time. Okay, let's not bag on that guy too hard because we do that all the time. Now there's flight. Flight is avoidance. And we masquerade this as peace. I'm a peacemaker. No, you just avoid all conflict. <laughs> and some of us, are you're going to probably by nature gravitate towards one way or the other. And sometimes we're going to fight when we think we can take them. And we're going to flight when we know we can't when we don't think it's worth our effort. But Jesus says, nope, lay down both of those. If you're going to be one of my people, you're going to be marked by seeking peace, which is absorbing the cost of pain others have done for you for the sake of relationship, because this is what he's done for us. And the blessing attached to this is that we shall be called sons of God. It's a familial privilege. Now, notice it doesn't say sons and daughters. Jesus does that on purpose. And it's not because he's being derogatory towards women. He says sons because in the day, only sons had legal right to represent the family. And here, what he's saying is anybody who's a peacemaker, whether you're a man or a woman or a child, if you're a peacemaker in the name of Christ, you get to legally represent my family. This is the family trait being a peacemaker. Now, we all have family traits, don't we? Let's just be honest. We're all quirky. Some people have a family trait of being uh, very silly. They're just funny, silly people. Those people are so silly. Some people have the family trait. You're just like, those people are so serious all the time, just so serious. Other people, like my family, have the family trait of being late. We're just late to everything. Even when we're early, we're late. Some people have the family trait of being very forward, just always saying, what's on your mind? No filter. <laughs> you stink. Well, thank you. Okay. Some people have the family trait of being odd or uptight or stressed out. We all have different family traits. Well, Jesus is saying, my family trait is my people are peacemakers. This is what the world must know us for. And if you're not a Christian, you need to see this is the beautiful way. Isn't this what all of our hearts long for? To see people who want peace and reconciliation, not division and anger. And so God's people are to be this. And so how do you need to hear this this morning? Has there been somebody that you've been wanting to take vengeance on or needing to prove that you're right? Or has there been somebody that you've been avoiding? 
you guys are 11 o'clock. Is there somebody in the nine o'clock that you're avoiding? You're like, I know that they go to the nine o'clock service. I'm just going to avoid them because I don't want to see them. Jesus' people are marked by peace or peacemakers, okay? The third blessing and challenge is a challenging characteristic is persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The final mark of belonging to the kingdom in the Beatitudes is being persecuted. The word persecution means mistreated, abused, slandered. Sometimes it's a social and emotional persecution. and Other times it's a physical persecution. Keep in mind that when Jesus said this, some Christians say, we're not facing persecution. Well, when Jesus said this, his crowds, they weren't facing physical persecution yet. They were facing social persecution. They were, they were uh, mistreated by their families, cast out for following Jesus. And he says, it's not just persecution for any reason. Look at it again in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for what, church? For righteousness sake. Let's be honest. Sometimes we're out there and, we're, and people are coming against us. And you're like, yeah, I'm being persecuted for Jesus. No, you're being persecuted because you're a jerk. <laughs> and there's a difference. Some of you just have the, you know, you're a recovering jerkaholic, okay? You're just like recovering from being mean. And you always think you're right. And you always think you're, you know, you ought to prove everybody wrong. And so people come against you. Well, that's, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about those who are blessed for pursuing righteousness. What is right? What is right according to God rather than according to this world? Have you noticed that people will come against you when you try to do what is right? Like That happens, doesn't it? You're at work and you want to show up and work hard and the other employees will be like, why are you working so hard? Why are you pulling extra hours? You're like, because it's right. This is what I'm getting paid to do. But they're like, you're making this all look bad. Or you're trying to be honest, but that would expose other people's faults. Or you're a student and, and you know, you're, you're a teenager and you're, you have friends who are wanting to do things that the scriptures would forbid you to do. And so you're like, well, I want to be obedient to Jesus. And they just make fun of you for doing it. And you're like, I'm just trying to do what's right. Look at you, little Bible thumper, Jesus follower. There is persecution for trying to do what is right. And sometimes what hurts the most is when it comes from the people who are supposed to love us the most. Jesus' own family members didn't believe in him and thought he was crazy. He knows the pain that that feels. And so Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he shows in the next verses how some of this persecution is going to take place. It says, blessed are you when others revile you, in verse 11, and, and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Isn't that true? That if you follow Jesus, people will start saying false things about you. You're in a cult. <laughs> or if you choose to, to stand with what the Bible says about sexuality, that God created us to be sexual creatures, but that's supposed to a gift given to one man, one woman in a marriage. You start saying that, people are going to be like, you hate homosexuals. Or 
you think you're better than everybody else. Not true at all. We're just wanting to go with what Jesus says. And sometimes it doesn't even make sense, but we're just choosing to trust him. Or if you choose to pursue sinners, the church will be like, oh, look at you. Now you don't value holiness. That happened to Jesus, didn't it? Or if you choose to stand up for the rights of the unborn or the poor, if you choose to stand up for the rights of the unborn, people will accuse you of saying you hate women. If you choose to stand up for the rights of the poor, people will say you're just becoming a communist and a socialist. If you stand up for racial reconciliation and the equal treatment of all people, people will start saying you're getting way too political. And our response is like, no, it's like on almost every page of the Bible. There will be consequences in this world for following Jesus because Jesus doesn't pick one political party or another. He doesn't pick one social group or another. Jesus picks his own. And so as we follow him, Jesus is saying, you need to start getting comfortable with the uncomfortable because that's what your life is going to look like. Befriend sinners and all the religious people will stop hanging out with you. And this blessing, Jesus says, is associated with facing persecution, comes in three layers. And I think you should be encouraged if you are facing any sort of persecution. You are being reviled for believing in Christ. The first layer is this, that you gain the kingdom. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, they can take anything from you, but they can't take the kingdom. And what he gives us is far better than anything we lose. And so the attitude of the Christian is, you can revile me, you can reject me, you can hate me, you can kill me, but I get heaven and I get to stand before my Lord and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And nothing is better than that. The second layer of blessing comes in good company. He says in verse 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so you get to be, when you get persecuted, you get to say, wow, the heroes of the Bible were persecuted too. That's kind of cool. It's like when somebody gets inducted to the hall of fame, it's such an honor. Well, in persecution, every Christian gets inducted to the hall of faith. (laughs) Because it's an honor, because God's people notoriously have been rejected by the people of the world. And then lastly, in the the greatest, is that we get to identify with the Lord. He says, if you're persecuted on my account, what greater reward is there than to be identified with Jesus? Persecuted on my account. In other words, um, persecuted because you love me and you've shown me you love me by your actions. When Jesus was killed and beaten and persecuted, it was his way to show us how much we love him. When we get killed, beaten, persecuted, rejected, it's our way to say, this is how much I love you. What an honor. And so like in the book of Acts chapter four, you're gonna see that the apostle John and Peter, one time they get arrested and beaten and they walk away after being beaten all day with rods. They walk away rejoicing because they got to share in the sufferings of Christ. They're like, I got to display how much I love God. Yes, I love you, Lord. 
Or as the Apostle Paul says in Philippians, he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Under threat of people saying, we're going we're gonna to slander you, we're going to reject you, we're going to beat you. He's like, well, that's Christ. I get to show the world what Christ looks like. We're going to kill you. That's even better. You send me there quicker so I get to see him face to face. That's the heart of the Christian. And so what Jesus is asking us to do here is he's really asking us to question, do we love him more than anything else? And this is a call for us to embrace the uncomfortable nature of being a Christian in a fallen world because we have a foot in both kingdoms. You have a foot in heaven as a citizen of heaven and you have a foot in Sparks, Nevada as a spark site. (laughs) And that's gonna be uncomfortable. But all in all, the Beatitudes are an invitation to self-examination. Jesus is laying out, this is what my kingdom people look like. And so he's really inviting us to look at ourselves and say, is that what I look like? Which leads me to my second point, a great problem, right? (laughs) We should read these and in a sense say, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. I just imagine the crowds as they listened to Jesus and he started out, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. I would have said to my neighbor, did he just say pure? Like pure in heart. That's our only hope of seeing God. We have to be pure. Oh, we're screwed. Like that's, <laughs> that's how it would have gone because that's the reality of it, right? There is nobody who is truly pure in heart. There's, we, we are just, we fall so short of these expectations. And because we fall short, we tend to misread the Beatitudes in one of three ways. One, we treat them as more or less statements. Blessed are the pure in heart, more or less. Blessed are the more or less peacemakers. Blessed are those who face persecution, more or less. But that's not what Jesus is saying. This is not the more or less translation of the Bible. (laughs) Jesus is showing us how high his expectation is. He wants us to realize that we have no hope on our own. Okay, so that's the first way to misread it. The second way to misread it is to emphasize our strengths over our weaknesses. You might say, I'm great at keeping peace. Yeah, but you really lack courage to represent the faith. Or you might say, I'm really bold and I'm, I'm not afraid of persecution, but you have secret sin and your heart's not pure. The Beatitudes, the eight characteristics mentioned are not to be taken so that you can have a list of which ones you're strong at and pat yourself on the back. They're supposed to be taken as a whole and you grade yourself by your weakest. So then what do we do? Well, we admit we need help. The third way to misread this is to think that we can achieve these traits if we just try harder. If I just try harder to be a peacemaker, then I'll be a son of God. If I just try harder to get pure, purity, 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 I will see God. But that's like chasing the gold at the end of a rainbow. The closer you get, the further away it is. And that's why a lot of people's lives, Christians' lives, emotionally are like yo-yos. Because you've tried to do this on your own. So you think when you're doing good, you're really high. And then when you screw up, you go really low because it's all on you. But that's not what Jesus is saying. 
He isn't saying this is, this is the, the formula to try harder so that you could get to know me. He's not giving us that formula. He's instead giving us a standard that is so high we fall on our knees and say, I am a sinner, wretched man that I am. I need a savior. The Beatitudes are given to us that we would go running up the mountain towards Christ. Because we realize we have no hope on our own. And every time we try to do this on our own, it just adds to our filth. As the book of Isaiah says, our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. So where's the hope in this passage? Well, the hope comes in that Jesus is saying this to level his people, but he's also come to them and saying, I've come to do these things for you. These traits cannot be gained by self-effort, but they can be received and absorbed by grace. Grace is God's undeserving gift towards us. They, these traits send us running to the cross, send us running to Jesus saying, Jesus, help me. And when we do that, we see that in every way we fail, he has succeeded on our behalf. That's why the life of Jesus matters just as much as his death. Jesus, if all it took was dying for sinners, Jesus would have just showed up as a human and died. But Jesus came as a baby and he lived a whole life because he had to live a whole life of purity on our behalf because from the time we are infants, our hearts are twisted. And so we need his life just as much as we need his death. And he was accomplishing these things for us. He was living with a pure heart. Imagine that. Even through pure puberty, <laughs> pure heart. Even faced with so much temptation. I mean, he had the power of God to do whatever he wanted, but he didn't. He, he laid that aside because of purity for you, for me. He faced persecution. He literally laid his life down so that peace could be had. He was doing all of this for us because we would fail to do it. And the good news of the gospel is that when you go to Christ, he will uh, attribute his work towards you. So when you have faith in Jesus, all that he has done for you is applied to you and all that you have done against him is applied to him on the cross. And so that gives us a new heart. So um, not only does God want to attribute his work to us, he also wants to impart his work in us. Does that make sense? So by faith, God looks at us and sees Jesus, but also as we are acquainted with Jesus, God starts to work in us and make us like Jesus. We become like what we behold. Um, so, when you come to Jesus in true faith, he gives you a new heart. <laughs> Ezekiel 36 made this promise that a day was coming. It says right here, it says, a day, was a day is coming when I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of flesh from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So when you go running to Jesus, that's what he does. He gives you a new heart, which like I said, this is why we change when we become Christians. Something happens in us. 
And all of a sudden, it's like we're hardwired for a beautiful way rather than our own selfish, sinful ways. So um, about a year ago, Gabe Ayala, who's a member here, stole my phone. It was sitting on my desk. And he put it into my phone that whenever I typed the word church, it instead somehow said Jesus Hype House. And so if I... (laughs) texted people, meet me at the church. I said, I didn't even realize I was doing it. Meet me at the Jesus Hype House. It was hardwired for something different. <laughs> and, but that's what it's like to receive a new heart. Is all of a sudden you start to become hardwired for something different. Hardwired for the kingdom of heaven rather than the kingdom of this world. And, and that begins to change you. And that happens at faith in Christ. That's why Jesus says you need to be born again. You need to receive this renewal, a new heart. When the apostle Peter spoke the gospel, it says that they were cut to the heart. In other words, their hearts were peeled back and circumcised and they got new hearts. This is what it means to be a true Christian, is to gain a new heart. And the good news is also that as we continue to run to Jesus throughout our imperfect Christian lives, over time in his presence, we will become more like him. Amen? Because God created us to be transformed and transforming beings. He created us like sponges. Little boys know this when they get into sixth grade and all the other kids start using these cuss words and they think, and then all of a sudden they just get these potty mouths. And they probably didn't learn it at home. You guys know what I'm talking about. Let's be honest. Come on. I was talking with Nick over here and he was like, you mean sentence enhancers? (laughs) (laughs) But isn't it true? As you hang out around the people that talk a certain way, you start to talk a certain way. As you hang out around critical spirits, what do you become? You start to become a critical spirit. As you hang out around happy, people full of laughter, that's kind of how you become because we're like sponges. That's why we say things and we're like, oh my gosh, I just sounded like my mom or dad. Because you've absorbed their presence. God created us that way, that we would run to Christ and absorb his presence. So our only hope in in living this way is a continual running to Christ. Marinating in his presence. It's like when you go by a campfire, when you come home, what are you going to smell like? Campfire. When you put a banana in your lunchbox, what is everything going to taste like? Banana. (laughs) Chips taste like banana. Bread tastes like banana. It's all banana. When you marinate a steak or chicken, it takes on the flavor of what it's marinating on. That's what the symbol of baptism is. The symbol of baptism is marinating in the nature and work and love and character of God. So as we as Christians start marinating in Christ and and find ourselves in the environment of the cross, we become these traits. As you say, I am not pure in heart, but you sit under the cross and you see him bearing your sins, it makes you pure. As you say, I am not a peacemaker, but as you see Jesus absorbing the pain that was caused against him so that you could be one with him, you are motivated to go and do that for others when they sin against you. As you are saying, I'm a coward, and you sit under the courage of the cross, you become more bold to face persecution. It's in his presence that we absorb his traits and only there. And so this Sermon on the Mount is intended for one purpose and one purpose alone to send us running to Christ 
which is what we're going to do in communion here in a moment. So let's pray. Lord, we just confess our impurity to you. We confess our, our selfishness to not pursue peace or only pursue peace when it's convenient to us. And we confess our cowardice. There's been so many times when we ought to have opened our mouths and we kept them shut because we didn't want to be rejected. Purify us. Strengthen us. And give us boldness from your son in the cross. And I pray that we would be a church that so habitually marinates in the work of your son that the world would start to identify these traits in us. In your name we pray. Amen.